Hello, and welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. And I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the beginning. This is a spoiler-free podcast, and we're currently on season two. Whether you're watching for the first time, or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time, too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary on the show. Thanks for listening. Now on to the episode. Season 2, Episode 14, Innocence. So, last week, Stephanie, you said... That surprise was the best episode of the whole series so far. Bold, bold statements. Yeah. It was. So my <laughs> question for you, has Innocence already topped surprise? No. <laughs> Not for me. Um, okay. But mm, this is hard. I would say Innocence is such a good episode. So much happens in this episode that makes it amazing. But I personally enjoyed Surprise more than this episode, possibly because this episode makes me really sad. <laughs> so if I'm going to watch an episode again, the likelihood of me putting on Surprise over Innocence is probably higher at this point. Plus, there's more Buffy and Angel making out. Well, exactly. It's romance versus tragic heartbreak, is it not? <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Um, yeah. I, I appreciate that there is a difference between enjoyment versus appreciation for the merit of an episode. Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious to see if your opinion changes after our discussion, just in the sense of like, I think like with Lie to Me, there's a lot going on here. And I, I'm really excited for you to kind of show me things I didn't see in this episode and for me to show you things that maybe you didn't see in this episode. You know, I always love when you convince me otherwise. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm not yeah. here to like take the sheen <laughs> off Angel. You know, if you want to rewind and watch Surprise and watch him kiss and make out, you can do that. You can get your super cuts on YouTube. But mm -hmm. I think, in a sense, elevates this series. I do have some criticisms at the very end that I'll talk mm -hmm. about that are related to Joss Whedon. But I cannot deny that artistically, literally, this episode is the bomb. I would say that surprise would be the delicious first meal. Ooh. Your appetizer, your whore's divorce, you might say. <laughs> and innocence is the rest of the meal plus dessert. Uh, let me recap surprise for anybody who didn't watch and need, needs a recap. Oh, yes, love these. Previously on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Buffy and Angel had sex. Woohoo! That's it. That's, that's all That's all you need to know. <laughs> that really is all you need to know. Uh, oh, there's a big blue judge. <laughs> that's, that's the end of Surprise. <laughs> so we left off. Buffy and Angel had coitus. <laughs> Buffy's first time. Angel's three millionth time. Angel runs outside and screams. We don't know what's going on. So this episode begins in the factory. Spike and Drusilla are 
hanging out there. The judge is kneeling and kind of just chilling in the corner. And Spike is very unhappy because Angel and Buffy got away the night before. And he's like, we should be vacating. We should be getting out of Dodge, you know, like, let's go. And he starts like snipping at the judge. He's like, you're just sitting here doing nothing. Preparing looks a great bit like sitting on your ass. <laughs> and we know Spike, he, he's, he's a go-getter, right? He's somebody who just likes to go into action and do stuff. So sitting and waiting is not his style. But as they talk, Drusilla starts going into a trance and she starts moaning and she falls to the ground. And Spike asks her if she's having a vision. And Drusilla just says, Angel, and then starts to laugh. And then interestingly enough, it pans from Drusilla's face onto Buffy's, who's still lying naked in Angel's bed and just waking up. And this parallel that we talked so much about in Surprise between Drusilla and Buffy continues on in this episode, so we can... I'm excited to Mm -hmm. get into that with you. Buffy wakes up. Angel's gone. And then we cut to Angel, who was outside. It's not raining anymore, but he is still on the ground. And he's basically saying, Buffy, oh, no. And then it cuts away to a woman who's smoking a cigarette down the alley from him and sees him lying there. So she approaches him and she's like, hey, you okay? Like, should I call 911? And Angel stands up and says, no, the pain is gone. Then turns around, vamp face on, and bites her. And he doesn't bite her very long, but enough to get a lung full of smoke from her cigarette. He drops her body, blows out the smoke, and says, I feel just fine. No. What is this? And also, like, we know that smoking means bad. Smoking is bad. Also... Killing sex workers is bad. Um, Was she a sex worker? I think that's the inference we're supposed to make from, you know, she's dressed in a certain way and she's outside at night, right? Smoking, like, the way she's speaking. You know, you can debate that, but I I just wanted to point that out because that's just such a commonly used trope, right, is to murder, to kill a sex worker and, uh, you know, violence against anybody, obviously, but sex workers in particular mm-hmm. are particularly vulnerable in that way. So I wanted to call that out. And then, yeah, the smoking. Oh. <laughs> the smoking equally bad. <laughs> um, I do know that that woman, I believe, is Sarah Michelle Gellar's stunt double for Interesting. Buffy. Someone can say if I'm wrong or not, but I'm pretty sure that I am correct. So <laughs> cut to credits. What the hell is going on? What happened to my sweet, sweet angel? Buffy is entering her home. She tries to sneak upstairs, but her mother stops her and offers her a ride to school if she's quick. Buffy is super awkward about this exchange, obviously, because she's a lie. She's like, I was at Willow's, but really she was off having sex with her boyfriend. Mm -hmm. Such a typical teenager (laughs) kind of lie to have. Well, and she's also like processing having sex for the first time and Angel Mm -hmm. not being there when she wakes up, which is very weird. And she's probably nervous because there's a part of her that's like, my mom can tell I had sex. And sure enough, Joyce says, is something wrong? You just look dot, 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 dot. And I hate this narrative so much in these kind of shows or just in general, where like, If a girl has sex, she's now a woman, therefore her aura changes or something about her looks different. And I just, this is not a thing. 
This is not a real thing. You do not look mm-hmm. different after you have sex the first time. Just because you're no longer a, quote, virgin doesn't mean mm-hmm. that everyone can tell because virginity is bullshit. Thank you for saying that. And yeah, I think that's something we need to definitely unpack throughout this episode because that's a core part of this episode's narrative. And the episode is having a conversation with itself. So the title of Innocence carry just like surprise in the previous episode carries so many meanings here there's so many examples of innocence and it's interesting how we talk about innocence being lost or regained mm-hmm. right you lose your innocence or you give up your innocence i'll have some other thoughts on that soon but i'm really happy you brought that up stephanie it's so interesting uh, <laughs> i don't have an experience of quote unquote, losing my virginity because asexual Kara <laughs> never bothered with the whole sex thing for myself, but uh, or at least not sex with another person. <laughs> um, but it's, it's so interesting to me. I love the way you frame that of like, you know, having sex for the first time doesn't turn a girl into a woman because isn't it so curious how our society has all of these different things that make a girl into a woman right it's like oh you got your period for the first time now you're a woman Mm -hmm. except no it's you have sex for the first time now you're a woman right it's like (laughs) the goalpost for what makes you a woman is constantly moving depending on how the patriarchy wants you to put to put you into a box right are you a woman are you a girl are you a slut are you virginal Mm -hmm. it's so interesting to me that our society constructs these ways of gatekeeping womanhood and of course as a trans woman i have thoughts about that because that gatekeeping extends to ways in which uh transphobic people don't want to admit trans women into womanhood Mm -hmm. so yeah yeah, i I think it's so important that we challenge that narrative and i don't know I, i don't watch as much teenage tv shows these days so i don't know if it has gotten better but this feels like a super 90s kind of thing right it is. It is for sure. And uh, I mean, we even talked about that previously when we were leading up to Buffy having sex for the first time and how sometimes the narrative is that it's something to fear or something to worry about or feel guilty about. And then on the other hand, it's like something that's exciting. It's like, oh, good for you. But of course, they have to stick in this whole like, oh, Buffy, you seem different. Like something changed? Did you change your hair? Are you wearing new <laughs> shoes? This is something that is so common on a WB 90s. Yeah teen soap and i really don't like it because it does make you feel like when you are a young woman and you have sex for the first time Mm -hmm. you probably expect to feel different well that's the thing too is i am willing to forgive this episode at certain points for lingering on it because it is kind of showing us buffy's perspective and i'm sure from buffy's point of view she feels hella different right now Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, especially as angels change is revealed i will add this one thought even if your mother could tell that you've had sex for the first time joyce is not going to be able to tell because (laughs) her sense of smell and her sensitivity uh to everything has been dulled by being so baked (laughs) so you're you're safe buffy of all mothers (laughs) It wouldn't be Joyce to guess it. So you're right. You're right. She just she just happened to be uh, she just finished her morning J and she's just like, Buffy, you look different. But it's also like, Joyce, go have a sticky bun. Right? Everything like, looks different. The carpet yeah. looks different. 
Uh, all right. So we cut to the library where nobody knows that Buffy's had sex yet. <laughs> Xander is coming in uh, where Giles, Willow, Jenny, and Cordy, I guess, have been there all night. And Xander had stayed at the bus stop that night, waiting to see if the boxes had arrived. And of course they didn't. And they all agree that no boxes came through the bus stop, the airport, or the docks. Therefore, the judge guy may have been assembled. And also, Buffy and Angel never checked in. So Buffy is missing. And I must say, like, I, you know, I wouldn't change a thing. I like that Buffy and Angel were caught up in each other and their misery and they had sex. But I do think, you know, it, a courtesy phone call <laughs> before falling asleep would have been nice just to say we're, we're in hiding or something. This would be so different nowadays, right? You just send them a quick text. Just a quick text. Get lucky. <laughs> text you in the morning. Um, Xander gets super serious when he learns that Buffy isn't there and he jumps into serious Xander action mode and he's like, we got to go to the factory. Let's go. And Cordelia rightly says, and do what besides be afraid and die? <laughs> and Xander says, nobody asked you to go, Cordelia. If the vampires need grooming tips, we'll give you a call. And Cordelia looks hurt by this snap right and giles actually agrees with cordelia and says if buffy and angel were harmed we don't stand a fair much better chance and xander says those of us who were born with feelings are going to do something about this and jenny snaps at xander and says like xander because you're being rude and willow <laughs> agrees with xander willow willow jumps up and she's like no xander's right and she's really upset so she can't think of bad words to shout at them but they're going to the factory right because they want to go save their friend and I don't know about you, Kara. I'm on Giles and Cordelia's side here. I don't think it's smart for them to just charge off to the factory with no plan and just their human teenager selves. I think they're being brave and I like their loyalty to Buffy. But uh, Cord I don't know. I think Cordelia and Giles are on the right side of this. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I see both sides. That's what I like about this scene is we're seeing the the larger, the, the super set of Scoobies including like Giles and Jenny and stuff. Like we're seeing the Scoobies in a situation where they lack their leader and they have to decide what they're going to do. And they don't always agree. And th this is going to keep coming up throughout the series. It's going to fuel a lot of the conflict with, with these characters. And it's something I really enjoy watching, right? Because it, it would be boring if all of these characters were just like, yep, this is our plan. This is what we're going to do. No, I agree with you. And but I, and I've told you before that it makes you really uncomfortable when they don't get along, when they're mean to each <laughs> other, which is why I'm like, Aah. oh, well, you're going to love the next four seasons. <laughs> yeah, I'm really I'm really going to feel comfortable all the time. Uh, but they start to leave when Buffy comes in and um, they're like, oh, we were just coming to rescue you. Some of us were. And they shoot Giles like a dirty look. Then Jenny says, where is Angel? Because let's not forget that Jenny is sketchy as fuck these days. And she <laughs> wants to know she's keeping tabs and she wants to know she's exactly also where like it's the whole thing of what like once the show reveals to the audience that this person is sketchy the person suddenly starts doing a terrible job of being circumspect right like up until this point jenny's not been acting very suspicious to us but now it's just like everything she says is very like obvious she's <laughs> she she is one bad remark away from being as obvious as the mummy ampada <laughs> Ampada levels of obvious now. I agree with you. And uh, Buffy says that the judge was assembled, nearly killed them, 
Angel got them out. Uh, they had to hide. They were stuck in the sewers. They split up. So she lies. 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 Liza Minnelli. There's your shout out, Hannah. She she, she loves when we shit, when we say lies. <laughs> and she's like, well, you never say Liza Minnelli. So there it is. Giles asks uh, what she can tell him about the judge. And Buffy says when she kicked him, it was like she had a sudden fever. And if he got his hands on her, ooh. But that scene was so quick in surprise that we never like knew that Buffy got a fever from touching him. I think Angel did shout like, don't touch him. But like, this is the first we're hearing that it actually had an effect on her. Hmm. And Giles says the stronger he gets, the more strong he gets, then he can start reducing you to charcoal with a look. And he's going to start researching and look for the judge's weak spot and the rest of them need to get to class. Jenny says she'll look on the net. Xander says he'll be back to help research after class. And Cordy gets her revenge jab, which I've been waiting for, and says, you might find something useful if it's an I can read book. <laughs> I have to say, these books suck, right? Like all of the information they're finding on the judge is like, he's a big, scary blue demon and <laughs> yeah. no weapon forged can kill him. And it's like... If the judge does have a weak spot, Giles, don't you think the books would put that right up front? They'd be like, the judge, here is his weak spot and how you kill him. And by the way, here's the rest of his Wikipedia page, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. A good, re a good book about demons would put their weaknesses at the very beginning and then give you all the other info. And so, I don't know, if there's a weakness out there, it sounds like the books are doing a bad job of informing you. Well, if the books were too informative, then demons would have this war against books and they would just burn books all the time, you know? <laughs> so maybe they Th have Those to exist. They're called Republicans. <laughs> Whoa. All right, all right, Kara. Spicy, spicy tonight. Uh, in the hallway, Willow asks Buffy if she thinks Angel went after the judge himself, and Buffy says she doesn't know where he went, but she needs to talk to him. Buffy is spinning. Like, where the hell is Angel? So Jenny <laughs> has been around the corner dropping some eaves on this convo, right? Because she's sketchy. Again, she's just being a sketchball, and she was listening. She's like, Angel's missing? What could this mean? So... At the factory, Drusilla is having an orgasm on the table <laughs> and Spike tries to talk to her about it and she's just being really cryptic and she's like, I can see the stars and blah, blah, blah. When, ha when like, who among us has not had this experience, Steph? Come on. <laughs> I mean, yeah, who among us has not? And Spike asks what happened with Angel and suddenly Angel emerges from the shadows and says... Well, he moved to New York and he tried to fulfill that Broadway dream. One day he's working with the chorus when the big star twists her ankle. So he's being super sarcastic and cocky. Spike says, you don't give up, do you? And Angel says, as long as there's injustice in the world, as long as scum like you is walking in or rolling the streets, I'll be around. Look over your shoulder. I'll be there. <laughs> okay, this is obviously this smarmy, cocky sarcastic angel is not the sweet broody quiet angel that we know so some, we know automatically something's really really wrong but i also really dig like the way that he's giving this like injustice speech because it just gives me batman vibes because that's how <laughs> batman talks <laughs> he's like injustice <laughs> i will root the world so the judge approaches Angel from behind and puts his hands on him and spike is like oh does it hurt and angel says it itches a little bit but Nothing is happening because don't forget 
when the judge touches you, he burns the humanity out of you. That one vampire, the nerdy one, could read, and the and the judge burnt that out of burnt him to dust because of that. The so, judge is also a Republican. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So <laughs> Spike asks what's going on, and the judge says. This one cannot be burned. He is clean. There's no humanity in him. Oh my god. Oh snap moment. Oh my like god. it's the confirmation from yes. you know, he he killed that woman in the opening and now it's like <laughs> oh shit, like what's going on here? And it turns out that what's going on is Angel is back. And by back, he means evil again. Yes. Um, and he he confirms this because he lights up a cigarette. Uh, he he lights a match by striking it against the table, which is very badass. And then he smokes up a cigarette. And again, that's how you know somebody's a bad guy on TV in the nineties, right? He <laughs> <It's>, smokes, <laughs> right? He's, he, Angel never smoked before. No, Angel didn't have breath before. He couldn't even give Buffy CPR, but here he is blowing smoke out his lungs willy-nilly. Yeah, so Spike and Drusilla are gleeful about this. They're super happy. And this is so interesting to me because the last time we really saw Spike and Angel interact was Schoolheart, right? Mm -hmm. Where Angel initially pretends to be Angelus and uses Xander as a, a prop in that ploy. And once Spike sees through it, he lays into Angel and he we got the sense that even when they were on the same side, there was tension and conflict between them. Right. You know, because Drusilla used like Angel sired Drusilla and now Drusilla is with Spike. And we learned a little bit more about that in What's My Line Part 2. Right. Because Drusilla was having a little bit too much fun playing with Angel mm-hmm. and Spike was getting jealous. So there's an interesting dynamic among these three characters and i it just i was really fascinated by how spike himself is super excited to have evil and jealous back on the team so you know they're all like excited and celebrating and of course drusilla is being drusilla and she's like my head is singing we're family <laughs> and she's like we'll feed and we'll play this is all that she's ever wanted Like, this is, you know, it was her birthday last week. This is, like, the best birthday gift she could ever get. And then Spike, though, this is where that conflict comes in. Because Spike is like, oh, you know, it was so hard watching you be the Slayer's lapdog. And he's he's digging. He's, like, digging into Angelus. Mm -hmm. And Angel, like... He chooses to respond with a fair amount of gravitas, and he doesn't, like, snap back at Spike. He's just like, it doesn't matter, right? Like, I'm just going to let this slide. You're using a wheelchair, you know? You're not a threat to me right now. And it seems to me like, in this scene, Spike is happy to have Angel back. But there's also this awareness that Angel has all the power right now as well. Like, the moment that he walked into there and revealed that his soul is gone, he has all the power. Yeah, the impression I would get from that is that Angel has was the leader of this little threesome, yeah. you might say. Perhaps um, there were more of them back in the day, but because Angel is Drusilla's sire, he must have some sort of ownership or 
superiority over that mm-hmm. in some way or at least in their relationship and spike feels that and we said in what's my land part two that spike has some sort of inherent jealousy of angel and i, I agree with you it's definitely coming out here spike didn't need to dig at him the way that he did but i also want to go back to what you said like they are elated at first They're like oh my god he's back the angel gives spike this like kiss on the forehead and they laugh together you know what i mean and i do also think spike is genuinely happy to see Angel, uh, or as mm-hmm. you would, we we will start calling him Angelus, back because the tides are turning, and we know that Spike is obsessed with Buffy about beating Buffy and winning. Mm-hmm. So having Angelus back on his team with the Judge and as this powerful trio that he knows that they can be, I think that actually does give him some happiness, as a vampire could feel happiness, right? Yeah. So. There's there's that element too, but no, I totally see what you're saying about that competition between the two. And I guess we'll see that play out more, but it definitely has a lot to do with Drusilla and her affection for Angel. It's always about the woman, right? They're just fighting over the woman. <laughs> Does anybody ask what Drusilla wants? And Drusilla's going to tell you what she wants. Drusilla wants to destroy the world. That's why they put the judge together, right? Yeah, exactly. And um, Angel's like, yeah, destroying the world. That's great. But I'm really more interested in the Slayer. So he's basically like, you guys, give me the night. Lay low tonight. I will guarantee that when you go public, the Slayer won't resemble a threat. And Spike's like, oh, you really have it out for this girl. Like, more than me, I guess. (laughs) And, uh, (laughs) And Angel says, she made him feel like a human being. And that's not the kind of thing that you forget. So... We need to note here, because I think it'll matter later in the season, that Angel is way more interested in making Buffy pay for making him feel something than he is in world domination. Oh, for sure. Mm -hmm. I think that's extremely consistent with what we have learned about Angel slash Angelus, right? Mm. Like everything we've been told from the Watchers journals and stuff is Angelus is a creature of chaotic violence he likes to slaughter like whole villages and he, he's willing to put that work into driving a single woman mad to the point where she commits herself to a convent and then he'll slaughter the whole convent and turn her into a vampire right like he, he's a he's a mastermind but he also likes the chaos so i can see why the whole like destroying the world appeals to him but it, he's got his priorities and like you said the Slayer is higher on his priorities list because he can destroy the world anytime, right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of the end game. You know, once you destroy the world, you can't really come back from that. So you might as well play with your toys. You got to play with your food a little bit before you eat it. <laughs> I I feel like I haven't truly taken in that Angelus is back. Like, I feel like I haven't processed well, it properly. Yeah, that's the point of the episode, right? And that's <laughs> yeah. even like Buffy hasn't even, until the end of the episode. And I would argue probably even at the end of the episode, right? Yeah. She hasn't quite taken that in. That's what this episode is for. It's angels doing a series of irredeemable acts. He's eating people and stuff to really, really show us this is not Angel. Angel would never do any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a fuckboy in the past, but <laughs> this is a whole new level of awful. 
So we go to the library. Willow, Xander, and Cordy are researching with Giles. Willow's on the phone with Buffy, who's still spinning out. And I guess it's the end of the day. And she's just like, have you heard from Angel? And Willow says no. And she's trying to calm her down. And when Willow says, no, Angel is not dead, Xander says, say hi for me. <sighs> Xander is so insensitive, you asshole. Like, you're so insensitive. Your friend is so worried that her boyfriend might be dead. That you're gleeful about this, and I think that's disgusting. <laughs> so, so Buffy's looking everywhere for Angel. She beat up Willie the Snitch from that bar, but he's gone, and she's extra wigged, and Willow guesses maybe because of her dreams that she's been having from before her birthday. And Buffy's going to stop at home before she comes to the library. Xander can't find anything in the book, so he goes to the stacks where Cordelia is doing research. And Cordelia says all she can see is the same typical stuff about the judge. No weapon forged can stop him. It takes an army. Xander apologizes for snapping at her earlier that day. And he says he was crazed and he wasn't thinking. Cordy honestly says that he was too busy rushing off to die for his beloved Buffy. <laughs> and he would never die for her. And Cordelia is actually sending out feelers here to see how Xander feels about her right? To see if he cares. And Xander kind of brushes this off and says, can't we just kiss and make up? And Cord Cordelia says, I don't want to make up, but she's okay with the other part. And she gives like a cute little smile and they kiss and it's kind of cute, but I'm actually really annoyed with Xander right now. <laughs> As they pull away in one of these classic Buffy the Vampire Slayer series shots where like it's the two of them on screen and they pull away and somebody's mm -hmm. in the middle <laughs> between them. <laughs> and who is it? It's Willow. She's seen them kiss. The jig is up. Willow runs away and Xander chases her. And I will say here, because uh, I watched this episode twice, naturally, uh, the second time around, I noticed that Cordelia actually has a look of what I would say is remorse. Cordelia actually saw Willow get upset. Xander chased her away and they cut to away from Cordelia's face. But Cordelia looks a little bit upset by that. And I don't know if it's because Xander is chasing after another girl, Willow or Buffy, whatever, mm -hmm. or she actually kind of feels bad for Willow. Maybe a little both. I mean, it, it's pretty obvious that Cordelia is the more emotionally intelligent of the two people between her and Xander, and that's uh -huh. saying something. Right? <laughs> so yep. she's clearly investing more um, time and energy in figuring out her emotions in this relationship, whereas mm -hmm. I think Xander doesn't want to because like even though he was the one pushing well last week to make things more official that in and of itself kind of suggests that he's not interested in actually exploring his feelings he he wants to put a label on it so mm -hmm. that he has an excuse not to explore his feelings interesting mm -hmm. he chases willow out into the hallway willow turns to face him and she kind of like attacks him verbally and is like i knew it i knew there was something that you weren't telling me i knew that you guys were just fighting too much it was unnatural and i don't know if that's true willow like i i know that they were fighting but they've always kind of been fighting uh if anything to me the weird part was that they're spending so much time together like mm -hmm. xander chasing after her in ted or Xander and her going off to looking closets in Bad Eggs. And they did a couple different things like that where I thought they were actually spending a lot of time together. So mm -hmm. in, as far as fighting too much, I don't know. 
we do know that she was cluing in. So Xander says that he knows it's weird and Willow says it's against all laws of God and man. It's Cordelia. We have the I Hate Cordelia Club, which, guys, <laughs> rude. And um, Xander is the treasurer of it. And I think it's also very funny that Xander is not like vice president or something. Like he's like the treasurer. <laughs> Xander says he was going to tell her and Willow says, what stopped you? Was it shame? So, all right, all right, all right. We're getting, we're getting mean. Xander says she's overreacting. We were just kissing. It doesn't mean much. Xander, Cordy was just actually trying to figure out how much it it means to you. So again, Xander not understanding feelings. He's being very insensitive. Like you said earlier, right? He, and it seems like he's trying, he's always saying whatever he thinks is going to get him out of the current Mm -hmm. situation snaky yeah instead of taking the time to think about well what can i say here to make amends for being an insensitive asshole previously so yeah i can't i cannot i cannot with this Sander. like seriously I, I can't with this whole scene and that's why i'm struggling here i do think that i think they're both being unfair in a lot of ways um willow says no it means that you'd rather be with someone you hate than be with me no I know, and she she looks like she's about to cry and she runs away. Okay, (sighs) all right, okay, all right. Willow, I'm going to give you some tough love. And I haven't had to do this to you yet because you've been a pretty solid person up until now. I have to say that I think that Willow is being unfair and I don't like this look for her. What I mean by this is that Willow is acting the way that you and I have been criticizing Xander for, for being this nice guy. In a lot of ways in this scene, I felt like Willow was being the nice girl, where she's kind of acting like she has ownership over Xander, that she is entitled to him feeling a certain way towards her. And because he's not, she's getting upset. Yeah. Again, we've been giving Xander flack this whole series about how he feels entitled to Buffy's feelings. And how he feels like he deserves her love because he's such a nice guy and he's in her life. So Willow, you're not dating Xander. And I think he's been pretty clear that he's not interested in you. And it's not, to be fair, he's not said this to her face. And he's said it behind her back. But she is aware of it. And she's been aware of it since Inca Mummy Girl. So I get that Willow, her feelings are hurt. And this really sucks for her. And I I get why she would be upset because it really comes down to it not being fair. Willow is a great girl and she deserves to be with somebody who likes her back. And it must be really hard that the only guy that she really wants is only into these other women like Buffy and Cordelia who are super hot and super awesome, right? And Willow's also those things, but Xander just doesn't see her that way. And that sucks. And I know that hurts. But at the end of the day, he's not obligated to return her feelings. And he should give Willow the same grace that Buffy gave him in Prophecy Girl and say how much he values her friendship to her face and be more straightforward with her because he knows that Mm -hmm. she has feelings for him. But at the same time, Willow has not put those feelings on the table Mm -hmm. until right now where she's like, you'd rather be with everyone else except for me. Well, Willow, that's the first time you've ever talked about it. So I just don't want Willow to be the nice girl version of Xander that we hate so much. Her getting mad at him for liking other girls in this situation, I don't think it's completely fair. But I understand where it's coming from. That's a great point. Thank you for explaining that and talking about that. And I definitely see where you're coming from. Um, I don't really have anything to add except that this is one example of the show's title. 
Willow has lost her innocence here because up until this point, she was unaware of Mm -hmm. Xander and Cordy's involvement. And now she is aware of it in a very painful way. And Xander has also lost his innocence because like you were saying, he can no longer pretend that he isn't aware of Willow's attraction to him. Yeah. So up until this point, was he innocent of her attraction to him? Probably not. But we can convince ourselves to believe things we know aren't true. It's a very human quality. So I think Xander has kind of just put that to the back of his mind so that he doesn't have to confront it like he is now. <laughs> With Cordelia. So in this episode, it's not just Buffy who's lost her innocence everybody's losing their innocence in this episode. And that's something mm-hmm. we need to watch out for. And it starts here with Xander and Willow. Yeah. So Willow runs away. Xander goes back into the library. And Buffy is walking toward her house at night. And it's a very subdued version of the Buffy and Angel theme song is playing. It, it's the, it is the theme song, but it sounds a little bit off, which makes a lot of sense. And instead of going inside, she turns around and instead goes to Angel's apartment. No, Buffy, turn around. And all the lights are on, the bed is made, but she can't find him. But suddenly, he is behind her, shirtless. (laughs) That seems to be happening a lot lately. I know, and it's been amazing. And this scene is so tense for a number of reasons. Um, But the first one, when I was watching it, I was like, okay, I'm actually like kind of afraid because we know he's missing his soul. And Buffy doesn't. And a part of me was like, is she in really big danger here? Yeah. He did just say, I will take care of the Slayer for you, Spike. Is, is That's what he's going to do right now. Yeah. Emotionally. <laughs> <laughs> so Buffy runs to him, kisses him, hugs him. And she was like, I was so worried. And Angel's like hugging her back. But he has that like grin, that Angelus grin that we'll only ever associate with Angelus because Angel doesn't grin. <laughs> Angel mopes <laughs> so he says he didn't mean to frighten her she's like where you been he's like oh i've been around <laughs> and she says she was freaking out you just disappeared and angel is being super aloof and distant and he like walks away from her and he's like i took off and she's like you didn't say anything and he's putting on his shirt and he's like like i really wanted to stick around after that You've got a lot to learn about men, kiddo. Although I guess you proved that last night. Oh, God. Oh, God. That hurts. And Buffy looks shook. And she's like, what are you saying? And Angel says, let's not make an issue out of it, okay? And he keeps walking away from her. And he's putting on his coat now. He's clearly about to leave. And he's just like, it happened. And clearly, Angel is saying these really hurtful things as in like, yeah, we had sex and you weren't good. And this is so terrible. And Buffy starts to blame herself. And this broke my heart. She's just like, I don't understand. Was it me? Was I not good? And then Angel literally like laughs in her face. And he's like, no, you were great. Really? You, I thought you were a pro. So just like rubbing a little slut shaming in there as well. (sighs) This is hard. This is hard. So Angel says, Hey, it was a good time. It doesn't mean we have to make it a big deal. And Buffy's crying now. And she's like, it is a big deal because of course it's a big deal, Buffy. And Angel says, 
and uh, so he's like making fun of her right he's like what did you think it is like bells ringing fireworks a dulcet choir pretty little birdies yeah oh and he goes to touch her and she's like don't touch me and he's like i knew you wouldn't be able to handle it so he's walking away to leave and buffy does her last resort which is angel i love you and tears streaming down her face and angel's like so sarcastically i love you too and then says i'll call you and leaves oh this is bad and it's so it's so good it's so bad and good <laughs> david boreanaz's portrayal of evil angel is, is scarily good i if i recall correctly i read somewhere behind the scenes that sarah michelle geller was so invested in buffy's relationship with angel that when they were filming this scene and Der david boreanaz was saying all of this shit to her she like couldn't stop crying and they actually had to like stop filming the episode for a little bit to like give her like for like an hour or something to like give her like time and space to <laughs> emotionally recover um yeah. and that's that's a, a consequence of acting right is sometimes you get too into your character's headspace and what's going on feels too real but that's also a sign that the acting is like that good right like he's laying it into her and it's everything that a girl fears when she's had sex with a boy for the first time right is that mm -hmm. he's going to belittle that and call her a slut and tell her it wasn't meaning meaningful mm -hmm. it's interesting to see angel kind of try to manipulate buffy this way although i will say it's it's not the most interesting part of this episode to me because it's also kind of like you're this is the low blow angelus right like you could do better than this. This is just your warm-up act, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, it's very easy to be mean to Buffy. I'm just challenging Angelus to do a little better here. <laughs> this, I mean, I don't know. I'm destroyed. Buffy's destroyed. I'm destroyed. Uh, yeah, you're right, though. This is the classic case of that guy in real life who will do and say whatever he has to to get you to sleep with him until he reveals his true colors and, changes, and then right? he tells everybody the next day that you're super easy and the rumors <laughs> go around school and your reputation's destroyed. <laughs> Where's Angel? <laughs> Me and Buffy are in the same spot. I, I agree with what you said, though, about David Boreanaz playing this role. He hasn't had much to do up until now. So giving him this character change i think is remarkable what he actually does with it i think he the fact that he adds this like swagger and charisma and he has a lot more you can just tell he has a lot more fun being angelus than he does with angel well, i think that's true for a lot of actors right like yeah. it's fun to be bad yeah it is obviously yeah i said that in surprise when spike was getting all the good lines angel's like leave yeah. her alone and spike gets the better lines in that scene right um but yeah, no, this is a devastating scene, and I think it's really real. I think it's a really realistic portrayal, mm -hmm. and I, I I totally understand why Sarah Michelle Gellar would need a, a, an hour to get over it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we'll leave Buffy heartbroken at Angel's loft, and we'll go to Jenny, who's at her uncle's hotel room, and he's lecturing her about, the ven about what vengeance means. Ugh, typical uncles. Classic. He says... For them, vengeance is a living thing. It passes through generations. It commands. It kills. Jenny says she tried to keep him from the Slayer, but there are factors 
and terrible things that they cannot control. Like, Jenny, did you try to keep him from the Slayer? Yeah, no, Jenny's did. just making excuses for slacking off. She was too busy, like, obsessing over Giles, right? Yeah. And, like, I don't blame you, Jenny. Like, Giles is a zaddy. But you <laughs> did not try very... You tried for one episode, one, one night to keep Buffy and Angel away from each other. That's it. So... She's saying Angel can help us. He may be the only one that can stop the judge. And her uncle says it's too late. And the curse is that Angel is meant to suffer, not live as a human. One moment of true happiness, of contentment. One moment where the soul that we restored no longer plagues his thoughts. And that soul is taken from him. Okay. Okay, so the, the curse has been described to us. That one moment of true happiness. This could be the shittiest curse I've ever heard of in my whole life. Like, first off, why would the curse just go away? Why It, it should have been that, like, if he experiences true happiness, he burns up like the judge. Like, if the judge had touched him, you know? Like, like he dies if he experiences true happiness. That's a better curse. So, the, <sighs> but I think it's the classic case of, like, when you do magic, there's always a cost. Magic doesn't come for free. And the bigger the spell, the bigger the cost. And I, I would guess that giving a vampire his soul back is a pretty big spell. Mm -hmm. So they probably didn't have a lot of choice regarding the nature, the structure of the curse. You know, I agree with you. It would be far more sensible to have a failsafe in place so that Angelus doesn't walk the earth again. But this was probably the price of working that magic was, you know, you can restore his soul and kind of define what's going to trigger him losing it. But there's no way for you to kind of program in the angel killing failsafe. It's just you got to take that risk of, you know, if he loses his soul, Angelus is back. That's just part and parcel of the deal. Yeah, uh, that makes a lot of sense. And I also think, though, okay, my other thing about this curse, like, okay, you what you just said, okay, that makes sense. But what annoys me is that if Jenny's whole mission was to go to Sunnydale, watch over Angel, make sure that curse is still activated, why didn't they just tell her the rest of it? Like, they gave her half-baked information, like, class, maybe because she was on Angel's case, and they're like, this is the whole thing with Angel, you only know a little bit, right? But... They should have explained that to her so that she knew as soon as he was getting close to Buffy to be like, P.S., don't. You know what I mean? And like, even, why not even tell Angel that? Because people who have positions of power, especially like mystical power in shows like this, don't tell you anything. Ugh. They're just really bad at communicating information. They hoard the information for themselves. This is classic. Yeah, I'm actually very angry at Jenny's uncle because I honestly think that if they just told her the whole thing, she could have stopped it. Like, I would have told, if I was Jenny, I would have told Angel if I had that information. I'd be like, you can't be happy ever. Uh, like, and my thing about, like, also this curse, like, I've got so many thoughts about this curse. <sighs> it kind of annoys me that, like, true happiness is achieved through sex. And, like, I know oh. it. Yes. I know it's not sex. Okay. I know it's for this, the way I like to view it, it's yeah. more about his connection with Buffy, right? The love that they express together, yes. feeling comfort in each other. That's what he ex experienced. It wasn't so much the coming <laughs> of the sex, in my opinion. What if Angel, as a vampire with a soul, really loved, I don't know, the movie Casablanca? And he, and he caught it on the drive in movie. I, yeah. And at the very end of the movie, 
he's like, wow, what a great film. And then boom, like, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm with you. And that's always bothered me too. For exactly the reason that you articulated is I think it's, it's pretty obvious to us, the viewers, that his moment of happiness is the connection. However, the show, the, the other characters who learn about Angelus and the curse and how he lost his soul, they seem to think it's related to the orgasm. Uh, and, and to be fair, again, the show disabuses those characters of that idea in, in a very creative way, I think. But it still bothers me, as yes. you pointed out. Uh, especially as, you know, somebody who isn't sexually active. Like, sex is not the end-all, be-all, whether you're in uh, an intimate relationship or not, in terms of happiness. Obviously, it can make some people very happy. Uh, and even for sexually active people, right? Orgasm isn't always the best part of the sex. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it, I think part of it is this show is limited in how much it can explore that in detail, because <laughs> yeah. it's a you know it's a network TV show in the late '90s, so there's fourteen. <laughs> well, just... So there's they have to kind of talk around it, yeah. uh, and you see that a lot in this episode. Well, like it's amazing how little it takes for me to achieve like pure happiness. Like if you gave me a bowl of mashed potatoes, I <laughs> would lose my soul. So <laughs> you know, are are you telling me that I've been? Talking to Stephanius this entire time. <laughs> Stephanus. <laughs> Are you the evil Stephanie? Like, that would explain a lot, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, it would explain, like, way more than I care to reveal. <laughs> but I, I, I'm I, just saying this might just be the shittiest curse I've ever heard. And there's so many weird loopholes here. I don't know. I think there are. I think there are worse curses out there. If we look <laughs> okay. at media, listeners, write in with your worst curse in TV, movies, or books. Yes, yes, and uh, this would be mine. So <laughs> anyway, Jenny says it's happened. Angelus is back, and the uncle says he thought that they could stop it, but it was arranged to be so. And that's an interesting quote to me because I'm like, oh, is it like destiny? Like, it's like, oh, it's always supposed to be this way, I guess. I don't know. No, they just screwed up, right? And what do you do when you screw up and you're a <laughs> mystical big person? You just say, oh, it was meant to be. <laughs> Let it be is what you say. And I'm like, no, no. If you had told Jenny the whole fucking truth, then maybe this wouldn't have happened. So anyway, he'll get his later. So Jenny says... Buffy loves him and the uncle says now she must kill him so Jenny's super pissed she's like we're all fools and she leaves so back at high school Willow has returned and she's with Xander in the hallway and she says let's get this straight I don't understand it I don't want to understand it you have gross emotional problems and things are not okay between us what's happening right now is more important than that keep it why though willow just because he doesn't like you back doesn't mean i mean okay no on it's so hard for me to criticize willow and leave xander alone so i have to say xander does have gross emotional problems i agree but it's not because he doesn't like you back that's that's not why (laughs) so i just don't like this version of willow she's not being her best self right now but you know what in later in this episode we'll we'll get to that as well so xander accepts this and fills her in on what they've learned about the judge which is nothing new same thing no weapon forged it took an army suddenly xander starts thinking and it surprises him and frankly it surprises the rest of us as well that he is coming up with a plan at that moment the lights go out 
And Angel is in the hallway and he calls out to Willow and Xander. He's standing in the shadows so no one can see him. But he's like, what's up with these lights? <laughs> so I'm guessing Sunnydale, Sunnydale High hasn't replaced their secu- their night security guard, right? Because yeah. <laughs> remember last week, there was a security guard at nighttime. No security guard now. That, was, that didn't last long. Yeah, did he? He must have died from that pickaxe to the head. So Angel says, I have something to show you. Xander, go get the others. Willow, come here. And Willow's like, okay, what's up, Angel? And Xander starts to walk down the hallway. But interestingly enough, I kind of like this moment for him. He suddenly Mm -hmm. realizes what's going on and he stops and he gets like a really good facial expression. He's like, wait a second. And he comes back. Mm -hmm. And Willow is almost at Angel's side when Jenny comes up with a cross in her hand and says, Willow, get away from him and walk to me. And that's when Angel, who is wearing his vamp face, grabs Willow from behind just as Xander re-enters. And Jenny says, you're not Angel anymore, are you? And Angel says, I'm Angel at last. And I have a message for Buffy. And then Buffy is standing behind Angel at the door and she says, why don't you give it to me yourself? So Angel says the message was going to be her finding all the bodies of her friends. And oh my God, that's fucking dark. Like this is dark ass shit. Again, this episode is trying to very much establish that Angel is evil and they're not pulling punches with that. No, that's and like we already know, like you said earlier, like Angel has a reputation. He is literally the most vicious vampire that's ever walked to the earth apparently according to all these books so to see that he was actually going to go there and murder everybody is so twisted and shocking so buffy says there must be some part of you inside there that still remembers who you are and angel says dream on school girl your boyfriend is dead and you're all going to join him And I think Angel has fallen into that terrible vampire trap of speaking what he's going to do (laughs) instead of doing it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, later on, in a moment, he's going to have the opportunity to snap Buffy's neck, and he doesn't. And it's game. Like, it's great that you're very good at delayed gratification, my dude, but you got to realize by now, it didn't work for the Master. It didn't work for Spike. It's not going to work for you. Yep, and that's when Xander comes up behind him with the cross, and he falls back, drops Willow. He walks up to Buffy, grabs her, and says things are about to get very interesting, kisses her, aka sexually assaults her, and shoves her against the wall and then leaves. Xander asks if Buffy is okay, and it's like, no, I don't think she is. Like, I really don't think she is okay. And just again, like, props, I really enjoyed this scene because I just think David Boreanaz is doing such a good job of being a creepy asshole. And it really shook me that he was going there to kill everybody. I didn't remember that he was going to do that. So... In the library, everyone's coming to terms with what's happening. Everyone's upset. Cordelia says, what are we going to do? And Giles admits that he's leaning toward blind panic. And Jenny's like, you know, Rupert, don't talk like that in front of the kids. And Giles says, look, he's sorry, but the judge is already a thing. Like, we're already fucking dealing with the judge. And now Angel's crossing to the other side. Like, we're not prepared for this. And finally, it pans to Buffy, who's sitting there just, like, looking at her clotter ring. And Willow goes up to her and asks her if she's okay, if there's anything she can do, because Willow's a good friend and clues in and has emotional intelligence. 
in this scene. <laughs> and Buffy says, I should have known. She saw him at the house. He was different. The things that he said. Giles is nosy and is like, what did he say? And Buffy's like, that's private. Yo, that's, that's private, dad. And Jenny says, oh, you didn't know he had turned bad? And that's when Willow clues in and she's like, well, how did you know? Like, how did you, you told me to get away from him. How did you know he was bad already? And Jenny says, I saw his face. Smooth. That was good. Because I think Willow basically caught her in her lie, right? It's like, you already knew he was evil before he even revealed it. Yeah, Willow is so smart, right? Like, we've talked about this in the show before. But Mm -hmm. how many other people in the heat of the moment would put that together? Willow Rosenberg. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and... I agree with you, although I think that's a fairly weak excuse because it's like, why did you have a cross on you, Jenny? Right? Like, are you just walking <laughs> around with a big wooden cross? Okay, um, okay. But to be fair, if I was staying late at Sunnydale High, I too would always be carrying weapons around with Yeah, me. that's fair. So Giles is talking about how, you know, something must have caused it. And Buffy's like, what? Right? Because she's super sensitive on that what? issue. And Giles, completely oblivious as an older British man, says, you know, something set Angel off. Something triggered his transformation. And then he turns to Buffy and he's like, you know, if anybody would have known, it'd be you because you were with him all last night, right? Did anything happen? Uh, And Buffy's like, you know, I can't do this. Like, she's like, it's private. Like, I don't want to talk about this. And she is, again, Sarah Michelle Gellar, she's really good at bringing on the emotions in a way that isn't melodramatic. It's very realistic she's Mm -hmm. upset and she gets up and she's in tears and she leaves the room in a hurry uh and giles is like was what's going on was it something i said like buffy what's going on willow of all people she the the camera switches to her and she's staring at buffy leaving the library she doesn't look at giles but she just says giles shut up Because Willow, once again, those gears in that girl's head are turning. Willow has pieced it together. She knows what happened between Buffy and Angel. She knows that Buffy's blaming herself for Angel losing his soul. Everything makes sense to Willow. And she knows that what she needs to do in that moment is make space for her friend. Mm -hmm. Well said. Uh, Like, as much as I was criticizing Willow giving her some tough love earlier, I think that was a very wonderful and willow-like classy move of hers in such a time so cordelia is laying it all out for everybody she's like there's an unkillable demon in town angels joined his side and the slayer's a basket case i'd say we've hit rock bottom and that's when xander reveals his plan for the judge that he had before angel arrived he says he needs cordelia for this one and he says it almost apologetically to willow he also says that he needs wheels And Willow says, no problem, I'll get Oz. He has a van. Almost kind of like like a dig at Xander. And again, like, I'm going to stop you right there, Willow, because do not bring my sweet Oz into this petty fest that you're having with Xander. I don't like this attitude, miss. I don't like it at all. Oh, don't worry, Stephanie. I'm sure that she won't bring Oz into this at all. Oh, she better not. Xander tells Cordy to meet him at Willow's house in half an hour and wear something trashy. Er, 
wow i can't wait i wish he was my boyfriend like please like be mine know, xander like, you know there there are people who might argue that xander is heroic in this episode for many reasons for the way that he acts you know to save willow from angel and stuff and of course his other contributions later on in the episode and i get that and you can make that case and yes xander is heroic in some ways but as we have said repeatedly Xander's heroic moments do not excuse how awful he is, especially to many of the women on the show. Mm -hmm. And this this, and what's coming up is just another example. He is using Cordelia and he's basically saying, I see you as a whore. Yeah. And she's like, how do you feel about me? Like, no, no. So... I don't know. This this particular scene also rubbed me the wrong way in terms of Willow and Xander. But... I don't know why he would say that she looks trashy anyway, because Cordelia is dressed like a country club Karen. <laughs> so Yeah. So as they leave, Willow's looking after them pissed. There's a lot of face acting in the scene, too, between Willow and Xander. We Reading their facial expressions, we know exactly what each of them is feeling. And I think that's pretty cool, even though I disagree with what's going on. Why don't you uh, Why don't you make some right now so our listeners know what you're talking about? All right, here's the first one. Willow's like, <laughs> and Xander's like, <laughs> you're welcome well done <laughs> thank you very much uh but i think it's also that like cordy and oz are like fucking up there for me right like top three characters at this point so having both of you mistreat them like this is like i can't handle this not on this day of all days where buffy has had sex and loses her boyfriend so Giles wonders what they can do about Buffy. Jenny says, assuming that he that Angel won't attack, attack him tonight, they should just let her be. And Willow concurs because women have each other's backs. And Giles says he can imagine what she's going through. And Willow's like, no, you fucking can't. Like, what the fuck? You really can't. So Angel is bragging at the factory to Spike and Drew about the emotional damage he's inflicting on our hero, Buffy Summers. And he says he'll never forget the look on her face. And Spike's just like, why don't you kill her? <laughs> and he's like criticizing him. And Drusilla says, oh, you want to hurt her like you hurt me. So here is that parallel again between Drusilla and Buffy in the last two episodes. Like we have been learning more and more about Drusilla ever since she's mm -hmm. arrived in Sunnydale. And the biggest point of that being in Lie to Me when we learned about Angel's past with her and how he created her. So I think it's very significant and can't be overlooked that... Angel drove Drusilla mad before turning her into a vampire. So he's basically confirming here that he wants to do exactly the same thing to Buffy. And unclear whether or not he would turn Buffy into a vampire or not. I think he just wants her to suffer before he kills her. But I do think it's very fascinating that if he succeeded, how similar Buffy and Drusilla could be if Buffy were to be turned. Especially if he managed to drive her mad before he did it and i don't know i don't know i i kind of like the idea that angelus would turn buffy into a vampire and then they'd be like the sexy ass badass vampire duo <laughs> well we know that's her worst fear from nightmares right so mm -hmm. yeah but i i mean uh, there's a fanfic forming in my head that i cannot deny <laughs> like i would be very fascinated to see that not that i want buffy to die and fail i'm just saying that's interesting so Angel says, no one knows me like you, Drew. And once again, Spike's jealousy starts showing up. And, you know, these alpha male tendencies, like having to fight over this woman. So he keeps saying 
the Slayer better not get in our way. Also because Spike has an obsession and complex about Buffy, always thwarting his plans. Angel gets annoyed and he's like, Spike, like you tried to kill her, but you couldn't. And now you're a wreck. And she's stronger than any Slayer you've ever faced. And Force cannot get it done. You got to work her from the inside. To kill this girl, you got to love her. So basically, they're just going to take Buffy by emotion, not force. That's Angel's way. He may be right, though, because we cut now to Buffy, who's arriving in her bedroom, and she looks at her desk, and the necklace that Angel gave to her in the pilot is hanging on her desk. And then she takes off her clotter ring, and she starts crying, and she falls into bed and just sobs. And like, Buffy, oh my god, I feel you so hard. So mm-hmm. I I cried watching her cry like this because I love Buffy. I think Buffy's fucking great and this sucks for her and I'm so, so sorry, girl. Like, I want to curl up with you in bed and hold you. I just want you to cry on my shoulder. Yeah. This sucks. This and sucks for you. I like how the episode creates time to show us these moments of Buffy suffering and being by herself. It's not just action, 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 action. Oh, my boyfriend's evil. Now I'm going to have to kill him, the judge, right? Like, that comes up. But for a 43-minute episode, they take a couple of minutes for us to see Buffy processing all of this trauma. And I really respect that. Yeah, I do too. And I think it's so realistic. Obviously, not the whole Mm -hmm. vampire losing his soul part, but having a serious breakup or feeling like your boyfriend is dead to you because he was so mean to you. I think this is realistic as fuck. And her falling into bed and sobbing, like who hasn't been there? I feel her. I just, I just, I feel heartbroken for her. And it also sucks so bad because surprise, that episode that I adore so much was about the love story and the buildup to this moment here where she's on her bed sobbing mm-hmm. her eyes out and crying herself to sleep that is so relatable and like oh well sucks. and in a way we have come full circle from prophecy girl or to be more accurate from when she was bad because this whole season has been about buffy grappling with having died and at the beginning of the season she feels less in touch with her emotions Because she died and she came back and she doesn't really know what that means for her. And the middle part of the season was kind of about her reconnecting with her emotions in both good and bad experiences. That a lot of that was her connecting to Angel. So she has fully reconnected with her emotions at this point. You know, a couple of episodes ago, she was like, I don't know if I'm ever going to live long enough to have a career or to have a life. And Angel, when I look at the future, you're the only thing I see, right? Mm -hmm. And she's now she's having to confront in this episode, in this moment, she's having to confront the hurt of living in this world as a living human being. As a teenage girl. Yeah. And this is the beauty in that tragedy, right? Is... Buffy is more alive in this moment because of the pain that she's feeling Mm -hmm. than earlier in the season when she was pushing those emotions away. That's that's a really good way to put it. Like, Kara, this show is so good. Like, I've really enjoyed this show. (laughs) Yeah. Do do you think we should, like, keep podcasting about it? I know this has just been a trial run, but I feel feel like we should keep doing this. Yeah, I feel like we should definitely finish, you know, the next couple episodes, see what happens with Buffy. Okay, cool. Good. Good. I'm glad we're agreeing. You know what? If our listeners agree, 
drop us some reviews on Apple Podcasts because <laughs> Steph has been reading those and has been enjoying like the different reviews by country, but there's not nearly enough on there. So if you've got an <laughs> Apple Podcast account, go give us some love. I respect the plug. I really do. <laughs> Anyway, anyway, nice intermission. Back to the episode. So we we cut to um, a very sensual PG sex scene between Angel and Buffy. Unclear if this is a flashback to the last night or a sex dream that Buffy's had in the past, because we know from Reptile Boy that she has sex dreams about Angel. We're seeing the sexy times and Angel says, I love you. But then boom, vamp face and Buffy is in the cemetery at a funeral and Angel is there in the sunlight and he says, you have mm-hmm. to know what to see. And Buffy looks to her left and Jenny Calendar is standing behind her. Boom. Buffy wakes up and has a thought. Yeah, th- this is this is a, uh, a, a prophecy sex dream for sure. Oh, those are the best kind. So <laughs> cut to Buffy charging through the school hallways. She's pissed. She enters Jenny's classroom. She's talking to Giles and Buffy grabs Jenny by the neck and forces her onto her back on the desk. And a student stands up and says, should I get the principal? And Giles says, no, 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 I'll handle this. You're all dismissed. And I do have to add here (laughs) that I don't appreciate that the two students that are in this computer class are Asian students. (laughs) The first Asians I've seen on the show, but they're there. (laughs) Right? Yeah, like, uh, once again, Buffy, the Vampire Slayer series, you can do so much better with your racialized casting. I never noticed that before, but yeah, I was like, wait a second, <laughs> two Chinese guys or Asian guys sitting at the computers. Anyway, one got a speaking role, good for him. So they leave. Buffy is asking Jenny if uh, she was the one who changed him. And Giles is like freaking out. He's like, what are you doing? Calm down. And Jenny doesn't try to lie, right? Like, mad respect for this. She recognizes that Buffy knows what's up. And she just immediately comes out with the truth. She's like, I, I didn't know what was going on, right? Like, Yes, I'm guilty, but I didn't know. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And Giles is shook. He's like, what the fuck are you saying? And Jenny says that she was sent here to watch you, which I don't, is that true, Jenny? She's like, they told me to keep you and Angel apart. But Jenny, they told you that yesterday. (laughs) So they never told her, they never told her what would happen. So she says, sorry, Rupert, but Angel was supposed to pay for what he did to my people. And Buffy says so angrily, what was I supposed to be paying for? Ooh. And Jenny swears she didn't know what would happen until after. Otherwise, she would have told her. And Buffy asks, so it was me. I did it. And Jenny says she thinks so. And Giles still doesn't understand. And Jenny says, the curse. If Angel achieved true happiness, even just a moment, he'd lose his soul. Giles finally clues no, in. No, he doesn't quite clue it yet, right? That he like looks at Buffy. And he's like, I don't understand. Like, what did you... And Buffy, again, the acting... The, the expressions, acting. like her expression doesn't even really change. But the look that she gives him is just the, come on, Giles, I had sex look, right? Yeah. Like, then, right, he's like, oh, and he takes his glasses off, which is the sign that things are getting serious for Giles anytime he takes off his glasses. You know what that means. And it's, you know, he is a middle-aged British man who has a parental role uh, in Buffy's life. And... This must be very awkward for him, right? He's like, how do I deal with this? What do I do? I'm just going to say it right here. I think that this never would have happened had Buffy attended the sex ed class in the episode (laughs) Bad Higgs. (laughs) 
<laughs> yes, because Mr. Whitmore was such an effective abstinence-only teacher, and yeah. absolutely, this is this is why you shouldn't have sex because <laughs> your boyfriend will lose his soul and you will die. Yeah, so Buffy missed that lesson. Um, shame on her. But Buffy then tells Jenny to curse him again, and Jenny says those magics are long lost to her people, and it cannot be done. She can't help her. Well, that's convenient. Whoa. How very convenient and strange that they just lost this magic as soon as they used it. So Buffy says, take me to someone who can. And cut to Jenny's uncle who's smugly smoking a pipe at his hotel room. And the door opens and he says, I knew she would bring you. I suppose you want answers. And he obviously assumes it's Buffy. Like he's really enjoying this moment and it's not good. Like, (laughs) dude, you're a bad person. He's been preparing for this moment all afternoon. He probably thought he heard the car pull up. So he lit that pipe like right then. But psych, it's Angel. And Angel says, thanks for the offer. And oh shit, I thought this was a fantastic twist. Because like, what well, I don't Absolutely. know these episodes by the back of my hand. So him showing up there, I was literally like, oh no, this guy's mm-hmm. so dead. Like, he's so dead. Shocking. Cut to, okay, this scene. Cut to an army base. Oz is pulling up with his van. Willow, Cordy, and Xander are inside it. Xander says that him and Cordy are going to go in and come out with the package. (laughs) And they sure enough leave the van. They go through a gate. And it's absurd how easy it is for them to break into this army base. And even Xander mentions it. (laughs) They hang a lampshade on it because (sighs) this wouldn't work, right? Like, this is a weak part of the the episode is how Xander acquires this item. Mm -hmm. But... I think the writers were just kind of tired at this point. They've spent all their energy doing all the like Angel and Buffy drama. And they're just like destroying Buffy. Just just let us have this one. Right. And honestly, I'll give it to them because it doesn't matter. And the payoff at the end is great. So I agree. Yeah. They go through. um, They're trying to get in through a door when a soldier stops them. And it says to identify themselves. And Xander says he's Private Harris of the 33rd. And they have a base a conversation. But basically, Xander's like, I'm trying to bring this girl in to see the big guns because it gets her horny and he demonstrates some army knowledge and like refers to colonel newsome and this guy's like you have 20 minutes and xander says i just need five (laughs) and they go inside and this is when xander confesses that he remembers his soldier life from when he turned into a soldier on Halloween night. and that means he remembers the access codes procedure ordinance everything he knows the whole layout of the space and can put together an M16 in 57 seconds. So uh, what in the convenient plot is this? And also, this reminds me just like when there was that secret escape route in the stacks in the library. Yeah. <laughs> this is kind of similar to me. I do think it's clever to have Xander remember all of that Halloween yeah. stuff. But I also am like, what in the world? Like all of a sudden, Xander has something very useful to this group. You know, very strange. It's clever, but it's also it's open in a can of worms here. Because mm-hmm. why hasn't Xander revealed this earlier? Why doesn't this come up in every episode? Why isn't he fighting McFighty guy now? Like, yeah, it's there's a little bit of inconsistency happening here. But we'll have to keep an eye out, right? As we continue to go on through the series, like, does this come up again? Or I'm surprised he didn't reveal this information because it's actually pretty cool and useful. It's an ability that he can use to help the group, but. 
Yeah. He keeps, you know, the hyena spirit memories to himself and Giles because he picks and chooses what he reveals his memory. I'd to almost be. forgotten about that episode, Steph. I will never forget season one, ever, ever. <laughs> so Cordelia is impressed with this and she asks if guns really make girls want to have sex. Do they make him want to have sex? And Xander says he's 17, looking at linoleum makes him want to have sex. And I think Cordy's thinking of having sex with Xander when she's asking these kind of questions. And I'm like, no, Cordy, no, (laughs) don't. Well, and also Xander, like, for all his desire to make out with her and stuff, very oblivious in this scene. Yeah, it's true. Well, maybe it's because he's got a purpose now. I don't know. So... Back in the van, here we go, here we go, here we go. Back in the van, Willow asks Oz if he wants to make out with her. (laughs) And Oz's reply to this is so fucking funny, where he's like, what? (laughs) And it made me laugh out loud at the delivery. And Oz is like, look, sometimes he fantasizes about kissing Willow in class and everything stops. It's like freeze frame. And I think that's really cute. And Willow smiles because she thinks it's cute too. But then Oz says, oh, I'm not going to kiss you. And Willow's like, well, why? Why not? And he lays it all out. And he says, to the casual observer, it would appear that you're trying to make your friend Xander jealous or even the score. And that's on the empty side. In my fantasy about kissing you, you're kissing me. And it's okay. I can wait. Oh, my fucking God. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. This is so on point. This is so true. This is what Willow needs to hear. And this is what I need Willow to understand from earlier. And Oz is calling her out here like, yo, this petty shit, don't bring me into this, right? Like, this is not, this is twisted. I don't want to be part of this. However, I'm really into you and I fantasize about kissing you and I'm here because I like you, but I can wait because I don't want to get pulled into something that's like dramatic and weird. Oz is so cool. We stand Oz. Yeah, he's just so I, cool. I, I, I'm tempted to say, oh, we don't deserve Oz, but we do. Like, this is what women who are attracted to men deserve. You deserve men who will treat you well, who will recognize when maybe your intentions aren't coming from the best of place and acknowledge their attraction to you but also no better than to act on that attraction and complicate things further. Like every woman who wants to date a man deserves a man as sensitive and honest and trustworthy as Oz. You know, he's this, and he's young, right? Like he's only like 17 or 18. Mm -hmm. Like he's this little baby feminist boy. And I just like, you know, I just want to hug him. Yeah. You're doing good, Oz. Well, I'm here for his pacing, right? Like, he's not being pushy. And you're right. He could have taken advantage of this and been like, yeah, I'll make out with you. But instead, he's like, you know what? Like, that's not the appropriate step right now. And I actually respect you. And I respect myself. And I'd rather you want to kiss me. And he doesn't freak out about it. And he's not like, oh, you just want to make Xander jealous. Yeah, no, he's not rude. And then he gets jealous of her and Xander. It's no, he's like... I want to kiss you. He's affirming that. Yes. But he's like, I can wait until it means as much to you as it does to me. Yep. Oh, like, I am an aromantic person, and I don't understand romance. (laughs) And, but like, this makes me swoon, right? Because it's like, you know, feminism makes me swoon. Well, this is what I said, like, earlier, like, I'm saying, Willow, you are above this, this attitude, and you're above this ownership of Xander that you're expressing here. Like, I'm disappointed in you for doing that. Whereas here, Oz is exactly what you need to 
understand your own value here because Oz is saying that's on the empty side. All right. Like you're above that. Mm-hmm. You don't need to lower yourself to Xander's level because that's what you're trying to do. You're above it. And basically what Oz is doing is he's opening a door for Willow to walk through and get to the rest of her life and she should take it. And that's all I can say about that. So that's when Willow just stares at Oz in amazement because I think she's seeing the light finally. Like she had a little dark moment this whole episode, but here she is. She's like, he's right. And Xander and Cordy enter with the package. So Jenny, Buffy and Giles are entering her uncle's apartment and find him dead lying on the bed. We don't see the body, but we see a lot of blood on his hands. And of course, was it good for you too is written in blood on the wall above the bed. So Giles, so obviously this is not good writing for Giles. He's like, he's doing this deliberately, Buffy. It's like, yeah, duh. And he's, he's going to try to make it harder for you. And Buffy says, he's only making it easier. I know what I have to do. And Giles is like, what? And I'm like, Giles, like, obviously. So Buffy knows what she has to do. At the factory, the judge is saying he's ready and Spike is really pissy because he's being left behind as they all go on this excursion. Drusilla kisses him. He says, have fun. Angel rubs it in and says, too bad you can't come with us. We'll be thinking of you. Spike warns him that he's not going to be in the chair forever. But Angel takes Drusilla's hand and leads them away. And I do... Just the physicality of Angelus versus Angel is so different. And that's something I really picked up on in this episode because... Angelus is chipper, <laughs> you know? He like, bounces. Yeah, he bounces. He loves, he like, he takes actual enjoyment and bliss out of being cruel and being a villain. He loves and, it. Yeah, he, he moves around a lot more than Angel. Angel stands still. Mm-hmm. He's got that weight on his shoulders. He speaks in softer tones and shorter sentences. Angelus steals the scene. Right? He'll walk around and spin around and it's not campy, you know, but it's there's a showmanship to him mm-hmm. and he talks at length. He's more loquacious than Angel was because Angel was a broody fuckboy and Angelus is uh, an evil mastermind genius. Yeah, and he's he's just gleeful in what's going on. He really takes pleasure in these mm-hmm. plans. And I just wanted to point that out because um, that's something I really noticed in this episode was that physicality difference that David Boreanaz puts when he has a soul and when he doesn't. And I think that's really interesting. Yeah. At the library, Xander is saying, happy birthday, Buffy. I hope you like the color. And he places the package on the desk. Buffy is saying that they need to go to the factory uh, as Giles is opening the box. So Jenny comes up behind them and she asks if there's something that she can do. And Buffy says, get out. And Jenny says, I just want to help. And that's when Giles says, she said, get out. (laughs) Giles drawing a line in the sand. Things are shut down, Jenny. You know, he might have hurt you in the dark age, but you've hurt Buffy and Giles cannot forgive that. Yeah. Ain't nobody fucking coming after my Slayer. Thank you very much. So Jenny leaves. Giles does look after her super sad, but like it is what it is, you know? So at the factory, the Scoobies enter and it's empty, of course. Spike is hiding somewhere in the corner, I guess. And Buffy really needs her magic cramps back from the movie because she would have sensed that he was there. So they're trying to figure out where they would have gone. And Oz is like, I I think I know where they might go where there's a big crowd and lineup. 
And sure enough, they go to the Sunnydale Mall and it is bumping for a Wednesday night or Thursday night or whatever. I know. It's <laughs> very strange. Like, it's very crowded for a, a city that doesn't have a huge population. The mall is packed. Yeah, it's like the place to be. It's like the bronze. It's the second most popular place to be besides the bronze. No, third after the bronze of the fish tank. I will add here that Jess from Instagram listened to Bad Eggs today and uh, sent us a message because in Bad Eggs we talked at length about malls remember (laughs) because they start Mm -hmm. the episode at a mall and Jess had to say that in the states uh, specifically New Jersey most of the big malls are in towns that are smaller than Sunnydale is and I was like oh shit our Canadian is showing Cara (laughs) I didn't know that (laughs) yeah I mean that's an interesting little piece of trivia um yeah, I'll also say like this, I think this is a different set for the mall than the one that we saw previously because it seems smaller and more enclosed, mm-hmm. like the length of it seems shorter. And I suspect that was just a practical thing of like, well, we need to show both ends of the mall to have Buffy and the judge face off the way they do. Yeah, it was just, it was interesting to me. It looks a little cheaper in this episode than it did in 10. It's a different mall, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> There's probably two malls in Sunnydale, to be honest. <laughs> so... The judge, Angel, and Drusilla are watching the crowd from top of the stairs. The judge rudely and aggressively zaps like a Richard looking man as he walks by. And that guy turns to Ash. And that's when Buffy and the Scoobies are entering from the elevators. A iconic scene of them all walking by with the package. The judge decides to zap a whole group of people at once using this big orange laser that comes from his hands and no one notices. And I was like, can only demons see the laser? Like, what is going Well, on? I think like once it hits you, you're immobilized. Okay. It's <laughs> so weird though. Anyway, he stops because Buffy shoots him with an arrow. <laughs> And I think at first, a part of me was like, oh, was that the package, right? Like the big crossbow? (laughs) The judge says, who dares? And Buffy is standing on top of a popcorn machine. And she's like, I think I got his attention. And the judge says, you're a fool. No weapon forged can stop me. And Buffy says that was then. And then she picks up a giant grenade launcher and says, this is now. (laughs) Yeah, I think think it's a rocket launcher, technically. A rocket launcher? Okay. Sorry, I play a lot of uh, 007 Nintendo, so grenade launcher is what I know. Yeah. Uh, but this is fucking incredible. I love this. And Drusilla and Angel like look at each other, and then they slow motion dive out of the way. I know that's <laughs> the best thing. Like, I, I get the the scene of Buffy shouldering the weapon and saying that was then, this is now. Yeah. Like, that's a fantastic line. Mm-hmm. But it's Angel and Drusilla's reaction for me. That gets me because they know, they know what this is (laughs) and they know that their plan is shot to hell at this point. And they're like, we're not even going to stand next to you. (laughs) You don't want to get blown up. Yeah, they're like, we're out of here. And it's great. And the slow motion, this is such an appropriate use of slow motion. So good. So effective. So the Scoobies also huddle down uh, behind the kiosk or whatever and... The judge says, what's that do? As Buffy shoots it and it blows him the fuck up. (laughs) It's awesome. And (laughs) Drusilla loses her shit. And she's like, ah, and she runs away. Angel also gets up and runs away. And uh, Buffy tells the Scoobies, pick up the pieces and keep them separate. And as they all scatter to look at the pieces, Cordy says, pieces? We get pieces? 
our job sucks. And don't worry, Cordy, like, I know you're meant for bigger, better things. So, like, collecting the pieces won't always be your job, I don't think. Also, I want to add here, before we get to the end of the scene, that you notice how Buffy, like, mind you, she was crying all night. So I understand why she'd have puffy eyes. But her her makeup just seems darker to me here. And she's wearing darker clothes. Like, obviously, the episode before in Surprise, lots of white, lots of that virginal white that we, we've we commented on before. But in this episode, lots of dark colors. And I just noticed that her makeup is harsher. Like, she's wearing darker black makeup. And I was like, is this supposed mm-hmm. to symbolize that she's, like, a hard-ass woman now? Like, I don't know. But it's something <laughs> I noticed. I mean, killing the judge with a rocket launcher is fucking metal. So. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So... Buffy is scanning the place for Angel and then she sees him taking off down the hallway. He sees her see him and he's like, fuck, and he runs. So, and and I don't think he runs out of being fearful. He's calculated, right? So he's like, I'm going to find a better even ground for us to fight. So she's chasing him as the sprinklers turn off. So Buffy is in this raining hallway and she gets sucker punched by Angel from the side. And then he starts trying to goad her where he's like, the worst part was pretending that I loved you. So I just want to say, I know the sprinklers got triggered by the rocket launcher smoke, but my headcanon is that there's some dude in like an office somewhere watching security cameras who can trigger the sprinklers and he sees Buffy and Angel like about to fight and he's like this is a dramatic fight in the rain time and he triggers the sprinklers (laughs) he was like "Mm, I know what's gonna make this even better for me (laughs) Uh, to be a security guard at the Sunnydale Mall would be quite the job so yeah so so Angel's trying to goad her like get trying to get her emotional so she doesn't fight as much but we remember that she told Kendra being emotional is a total asset of hers so Angel yeah. saying the worst part about pretending was pretending that I loved you. If I knew how easy you'd give it up, I wouldn't have even bothered. So slut shaming her again, just slut shaming. And Buffy says that doesn't work anymore. You're not Angel. And Angel says you'd like to believe that. And I want to hold on to this quote. I don't think we should talk about it right at this moment. I think it's a little bit too soon. But we do have to talk about one day down the road, Angel versus Angelus. What separates the two? You know, the the nuance of the soul, right? Yeah, I feel I feel like that could be a topic for an episode mm. all to itself. Mm-hmm. Mm. A bonus episode or something <laughs> like that. Mm. Stay tuned, everybody. So so they start to fight. And Angel says, come on, Buffy, you know you want it as they're fighting. And Angel looks like he's winning for a bit. But then Buffy starts to kick his ass. And she pulls out a stake at one point, And it's like she's about to stake him. And Angel just looks up with her with his angelic face his handsome handsome face and she just hesitates and he says you can't do it you can't kill me and instead buffy kicks him in the balls (laughs) and he crumbles in pain and she turns around walks away and says give me time and she leaves him and that's that's such a good line too like because i get it I don't blame her for not being able to kill him at this point. No way she'd be ready to kill him yet. But I do find it so interesting that they chose, like, you know, they ended the last episode with Angel losing his soul in the rain. And then for whatever reason, it's raining again in this hallway and he's on his knees again, wet and in the rain. I just think that's interesting. I like this symbolism stuff. Mm -hmm. That's the literature major in me. (laughs) (laughs) So Giles is dropping Buffy off at home. 
he says that Angel's going to come after her based on his research of Angel in the past, those elusive Watcher diaries. Angel's likely to strike out at the things that made him the most human. So Buffy says, you must be disappointed in me. This is all my fault. And Giles says, I don't believe it is. And then he says, this is such a good scene. So he says, do you want me to wag my finger at you and tell you that you acted rashly? You did, and I can. But I know that you loved him, and he has proven more than once that he loved you. You couldn't have known what would have happened. The coming months are going to be hard, I suspect, on all of us. But if it's guilt you're looking for, Buffy, I'm not your man. All you will get from me is my support and my respect. And Buffy starts to cry. So... I personally think this is a very remarkable conversation. There is one critique I will have about it, and it's when he says that she acted rashly, because having sex with your boyfriend is not acting rashly. That's a perfectly normal thing to do and to lead up to. But otherwise, I really love that Giles, who we say is like Buffy's father, we say that a lot, and it's a joke to us, but I actually believe that Giles is treating Buffy like an adult or like the age that she is, like the young adult that she's becoming. And he understands that you fell in love and he loved you back. And of course you had sex with him and you're not a child and you you knew what you were doing. And I don't fault you for that. If anything, I respect you for the way that you're dealing with it now. And I think that's great. <sighs> that was really, really kind of him to say and exactly what she needed to hear. And right after she talks to Giles, we cut to Buffy's living room and an old movie, which I believe is a Shirley Temple film, is playing and the character is singing to a man she's dancing with and the lyrics of the song are, Good night, my love. My moment with you now is ending. It was so heavenly holding you. Joyce comes in with two cupcakes and asks if she missed anything, but Buffy is clearly not paying attention. Her mind is on other things, obviously. And Joyce asks what she did for her birthday, and Buffy says she got older. And Joyce says, you look the same to me. And my heart broke when she said that, and this scene made me cry too. I just think this is a really... This was the scene where I cried. Yeah, yeah. this is a very touching scene. So... Joyce lights the candle on Buffy's cupcake and says, happy birthday, make a wish. Buffy just stares at the flame and says, I'll just let it burn. And Joyce starts stroking her hair as the song comes back on. And Buffy leans against her mother's chest as Joyce strokes her hair. And they just watch the movie together. And I cried. I thought that was so perfect. This is just a really good way to end an episode that's called Innocence. Because at the end of the day... Buffy is showing how innocent she truly is by crying on her mother's shoulder. Yeah. And I think that's beautiful. And also, like, I miss my mom. And I just really loved that scene. <laughs> so that's that's the end of Innocence. Who is your hero? I mean, it's pretty obvious. It's the judge for tackling the true problem, which is overcrowding at malls on weeknights. <laughs> Great choice. Great choice. Loved yeah, it. Yeah, clearly the judge. No, um, there's, thought, there's a lot of choices here. You know, there are people who might say it's Xander for coming up with the idea of the rocket launcher, but we've already talked about why I think that's bullshit. Um, <laughs> yeah. You could argue it's Giles for the supportive and protective role he's playing for Buffy. You know, Joyce is not in the episode that much, but she's there when it counts at the very end. And I like that too. I, I think there's a lot of people who are doing good in this episode but i mean if you're gonna look at the episode like the hero is buffy this is buffy's episode she's the one who has to endure angel's torment and also i would argue the torment that she puts herself through 
And at the end of the day, she's the one who uses the rocket launcher and she takes down the judge and then she almost kills her boyfriend. Mm -hmm. So hero stuff. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I chose Buffy as well. And what I loved about her in this episode is that she did a really great job. Sarah Michelle Gellar did a really great job of balancing the fact that Buffy is a normal teenage girl and she acted like it, but she's also this badass superhero and she acted like that at the same time and those two things are not separate from each other they're the same thing not only does Buffy cry herself to sleep over a boy that broke her heart and cuddles with her mom at the end of her birthday but she also did all those things that you just said like she was a fucking badass and almost killed her evil ex-boyfriend shot a rocket launcher I just think that those balanced each other out and it's awesome to see and that's what makes her my hero And I just feel so heartbroken for her. Doing what she did is really tough. And I don't blame her for not killing him right there. Because fuck. But goddammit, does Buffy's sadness not make for compelling television or what? Like, that is some good ass (laughs) shit right there. (laughs) So I have a question for you, Stephanie. Angel, Mm -hmm. evil angel. Mm -hmm. Is evil angel the same, less hot, or more hot (laughs) than regular angel? I have been grappling with this in myself, and honestly, I don't find Angelus as attractive as Angel. They share the same face, so I cannot say I'm not attracted to him, for I I am. (laughs) I am. I'm only human. Okay. But no, Angel does it for me. Angelus, I've never been a bad boy kind of girl. I've never been somebody who's like, the swagger gets me. I (laughs) I like the calm. And the humble. The sensitive side. Yeah, that's that's who I, that's my thing. Ah, okay. Uh, I've got a hot steak, and then we've got a hot steak from Melissa. Nice. So this episode's called Innocence. And I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, this title has so many layers of meaning to it. You know, we have an antagonist who's called the judge. And he's judging if people are guilty of being too human. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's about characters, as we said earlier, losing their innocence. Buffy has lost her sexual innocence. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I also think that the other side of this is the question of this episode is Buffy guilty of what happened to Angel? Is she the one who caused this? Or is she innocent of that? And the episode seems to come down on the side with Giles' speech at the very end that she isn't guilty. She is indeed innocent. This was not her fault that angel turned into a monster. However, I don't really like how Joss Whedon has set up this dynamic. It's very appealing. I will give it that to explore it this way. But for those of you listening who have more experience of the Whedonverse and who've watched Angel or Firefly or particularly Dollhouse, you start to notice certain patterns with the way Joss Whedon writes his characters, especially his female characters, he has this obsession with broken, superpowered women. What this episode does, I talked about this a bit earlier in the season, I kind of teased it, is it, it really reifies the Madonna whore complex. Mm. So for those people who aren't familiar with it, the Madonna whore complex is this idea that patriarchy puts women into one of two boxes. You're either a virgin, like the Virgin Mary, or you're a whore, right? You are either worthwhile and innocent, and you're worth 
protecting, you know, because you are the weaker sex, or you're a slut, you're nasty, you're denigrated, you're worthless. And it's this binary that's designed to keep women down because you can't win. Either you're weak and deserving of protection, and therefore also, why would a man listen to you? Or you're a slut and you're beneath his notice and he can use you for his purposes, right? Mm. And that's what this show is illustrating is up until this point in the series, Buffy has been the Madonna. She had the white dress and prophecy girl, right? She sacrificed herself. And unlike Cordelia, who is, as we discussed in Bad Eggs, almost certainly sexually active, Buffy has, you know, kept herself pure and virginal until now. And the moment she sleeps with someone, all hell breaks loose. Mm -hmm. And now Buffy has gone from Madonna to whore. She is being punished for having sex. Mm -hmm. And on the surface, it, it's an interesting plot device. And it's really fascinating. Sets us up for the rest of this season. Angel's the bad guy now. So I can't fault it for that. This is a clever episode. Yes. But within the context of everything else Joss Whedon has done since Buffy, this is clearly a pattern with him, is that he likes to punish women for being exceptional. He likes to punish women for, uh, you know, having desires. We see this again with certain characters in Angel. We see it throughout his series. So I wanted to point that out and make that connection for people who are familiar with Joss Whedon's oeuvre in general. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a problematic thing. When we use, when we make a connection between uh, sex and sexual connection and fulfillment for women characters and then being punished, we're reinforcing this patriarchal notion that women who have sex are deviant and deserve to be punished, unless, of course, they're having sex for the purpose of procreation. So I wanted to kind of share my thoughts on that. Well, I mean, this goes right along with the lines of what I'm saying about that narrative in the 90s that we were being spoon-fed by men like Joss Whedon and mm -hmm. writers of shows like this, that for whatever reason guys can think about sex and talk about sex and have sex however much they want and it's almost expected of them mm -hmm. at a certain age in high school but if girls do the same thing they're made to feel bad about that yeah like you can't gender flip this right mm -hmm. if this show had a male hero and this episode was about him having sex for the first time you wouldn't be able to tell the story this way yeah. this only works within that context and I, I kind of said this in Prophecy Girl right I think Joss Whedon thinks of himself as a super feminist dude. I think that he thinks this is him interrogating these ideas and empowering female characters like Buffy. And I suspect there's a lot of people in the writer's room with him, especially the women who support him, who think that way. Mm -hmm. But I think if we look at it through like a more intersectional lens and we actually look at like, what is this saying about all sorts of women, not just white women with superpowers like Buffy, then it's so much more problematic. So I want us to keep thinking about this throughout this series, because this is not the last time that Buffy has sex. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, yeah. I, on, on the other hand, though, I don't... I do want to give Joss Whedon a little bit of credit here because, like I said earlier, like, ooh, mm -hmm. when Buffy's sad, it's really good television, right? Like, this is, this is some good stuff. Oh, for sure, yes. Like I said, there's the two sides, right? There's Buffy being heartbroken as a teenage girl, and then there's Buffy mm -hmm. being the superhero that is on a hero's journey. And now somebody who was an ally, she might have to kill. And that's 
that's actually the power of Joss Whedon storytelling in knowing that Buffy well, suffering makes for good storytelling. But I agree with you in that pattern of him doing it to women over and over and over again mm-hmm. is super problematic. Yeah, it, it's the, you know, turning Angel evil. Brilliant. Anytime you have a face heel turn, it's fantastic. I have no issues with that. It's that mechanism, right? And then it's it's not ju- even just the fact he does it in this episode. You know, doing it once, whatever. Everybody gets a pass. You get, you get Everybody gets one, as Spider-Man <laughs> says. Um, but it's the fact that he keeps doing this. This is a pattern for him throughout his writing. He's got these fixations. And I just wanted to, to point that out. Yeah. And I, I also want to say that because at the beginning of this episode, we talked about whether or not surprise and innocence, like how it felt to me. And obviously talking it through with you, um, this episode is so good. And surprise and innocence together make for a shift in this series. And this is mm-hmm. the series at its best, in my opinion. And there's a lot of people that have said to me on TikTok or whatever that season two is a bad season. And I'm like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. This is top tier television right here right so yeah as far as did my mind change surprise i still prefer because it's happier for the well it's not even happy <laughs> but there's sex and like love <laughs> in this one is just buffy getting beat down and i'm always going to prefer the happier side however both are genius episodes and i want to mm-hmm. commend the writers because this is game-changing stuff and i think um i'm pretty sure these two episodes were the highest rated Buffy episodes ever like where they were just like where wow. or at least the most viewed or something like over 8 million people okay. tuned in to watch <laughs> Buffy get her heart broken <laughs> <laughs> all right uh so we've got one hot steak mm-hmm. um listener Diana wrote in and has some thoughts on the episode Ted specifically about its portrayal of abuse so content warning for for that so first thing Diana wanted to do is kind of defend the choice for Ted to be a robot because we talked about this. I wasn't a huge fan of the choice. Um, but Deanna says, you know, making Ted a robot makes him closer to being human than making him like a supernatural creature, which is a fair point. So that makes the abuse angle hit harder, but he's still not human. So the trauma of Buffy kind of like killing him is less. So I get that. I think, I think my objection to him being a robot was more just kind of like, from the serial killer aspect, right? I was just like, hmm, this, this complicates things. Um, you know, especially because we never deal with, like, do they just, like, hide the body? <laughs> like, is Ted gone? Is he a fugitive now? I don't know. We never come back to that. Anyway, uh, that's not the point. Um, so Deanna then goes on to share, you know, some, some very personal stuff about experiences with abuse and, and how that connects to her experience of the episode. And, She says, honestly, it was the gaslighting, manipulations, and verbal abuse that really got me. While this episode was important, it was so true to life, I can't imagine being the only viewer that was triggered by it. Abuse is often a tricky subject to talk about and prove, but that's especially true when it comes to non-physical abuse. There are no bruises or scars to indicate abuse, so many people are left to wonder what the line is between being an ass and being an abuser. And then um, Deanna agrees with us that Joy still deserves slack. But Deanna also says, all was thrown out of the window the moment Buffy told her mother that Ted threatened her. Any child that has been in that position knows the moment you tell your parent or guardian that someone they love is threatening your safety, you draw a line in the sand. 
Buffy did that. And I could feel just how terrified and nervous she was doing so. And ultimately, Joyce chose Ted, which to me is so unforgivable. Her daughter told her she wasn't safe with Ted around, and Joyce made the decision not to believe her. So, you know, you you and I, we, we were a little bit critical of Joyce there. We were kind of trying to see things from Joyce's mm-hmm. perspective. But I remember us talking about, like, that scene in particular was so hard. Mm-hmm. And so thank you for kind of reiterating that, Deanna, and sharing that. Yeah, and, uh, like, the whole aspect of Joyce having that drugged food, I think, was supposed to be the writer's way of giving her that little out. But absolutely, yeah. I can see why in a lot of cases that would be unforgivable no matter what, right? Yeah. I do just want to add something else, um, you know, on the subject of potentially being triggered by, by stuff that we discuss about the episode or things that come up in our podcast. I don't know how many of our listeners know this because I don't look at the show notes for most of the podcasts I listen to, but I do put a list of trigger warnings in the show notes for every podcast episode, um, including stuff from the episode, which you probably would have seen if you've watched the episode already. <laughs> Plus, uh, potential, you know, anything that we talk about that I think might be potentially triggering. And of course, I might miss something, make a mistake, leave something out, right? I'm only human and I've got my my biases. But uh, just so that everybody's aware, right? If you're somebody who's like, ooh, like sometimes this stuff can be a little triggering for me, uh, do check the show notes, give yourself a heads up, you know, practice self-care. And uh, I'll keep doing that for all of you. That's great. Thanks for uh, reminding everybody. Thank you, Diana, for sharing that with us. We're glad that we can make space for these conversations to happen and for you to share your truth. And there have been um, a couple people that have reached out over social just to share their experiences with abuse and how that episode, Ted, triggered that in them. And I would like to thank everybody also for uh, feeling safe enough and comfortable enough to share that with us. And oh, to, to end on an uplifting note... You might have noticed that Kara and I have not brought up the age gap conversation between Buffy and Angel yet. We teased it before, and I believe it was in What's My Line, or I can't remember which episode it was, but there was an episode that we teased before where I said I was not ready to talk about the age gap because between Angel and Buffy, because I was still preparing myself, and we teased why that was, so... The reason we still haven't brought it up yet is because Kara and I have decided that we're going to do a bonus episode for everybody that is basically Angel on trial. We're going to put Angel on trial, right? <laughs> I mean, he's a bad dude. He's done bad shit. Um, yeah. So we'll make that a bonus episode uh, probably at the very end of the season so that we can discuss everything from season two without spoilers for first time listeners. So uh, maybe hold off on sending us your comments about Angel's character uh, until we put a call out on social media just so that we can make sure we don't miss anything from people. But we'll definitely be exploring the age gap and also just the central question, can we forgive Angel both for the stuff that he's done in his past as well as what he's about to do as Angelus in the rest of this season? So (laughs) stay tuned for that later on. Mm -hmm. We'll have more good content for you, more bonus content. And yeah, thanks for writing in. Thanks for being on this journey with all of us. Thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. We invite you to join in the discussion by messaging us on our social media channels. Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook, and Prophecy underscore Girls on Twitter. You can also reach out to our email at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website 
prophecygirls.ca. See you next week. Bye.